It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Grind. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the June installment of The Grind. Uh, I'm Roddy Reynolds, and I'm joined by Alex Osborne. Alex, how are we doing? Hello, Roddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm good. So I am uh, recording from my couch today, and you are in a different hemisphere once again uh, over in England. Tell us what's been happening since we last spoke. Yeah, so I'm in Ilkley, up up north of the UK right now, in close to Leeds. So Yorkshire area, beautiful green rolling hills, the whole drive on the way here. I was in Nottingham last week, and prior to that, I was in Surbiton. So UK now for two weeks, going on three. So it's been good so far. Has it? <laughs> Not quite, but trying to keep positive. My first week, first match, got on court, third point, felt the quad go, strained my quad. Not an ideal start to the tour, but that's just the glamour of it, right? I've just been kind of grinding away the last two weeks, rehabbing every single day, physio every single day, spending a lot of time just really trying to get that right because I can't afford to lose another week of time over here. So just been really trying to stay positive and diligent through all of that process. And I'm lucky the physios have been really great in the UK, which has really helped me get back and healthy. And I actually got in today as an alternate for my match um, in Ilkley for the tournament. Yeah, the leg's feeling honestly back and at 100%. So you're working pretty hard to get here so I'm happy that I'm playing. So to break it down you've flown over obviously full of beans about what this part of your year is going to entail. You didn't say this but you drew Yana Wickmeyer in the first round of qualies who is obviously a world-class player with with you know history of I think quarterfinals and slams. Third point in bod goes and so you play out the set and then call it quits after that. What happens then like what where's your head at? What what arrangements have you got to make because you've got clearly just if you've done your quad and it's Sunday or Monday playing qualies, you're then obviously not playing for the week, but then you don't know what happens the week after with your schedule, where you might be staying. You've got doubles partners that are relying on you. How does this un- how does this unfold? Yeah, so I guess to begin, when it first happened, I was uh, freaking out, to be honest. It was third point of the match. I mean, the pain was really bad. Sharp pain. I have a high, high pain tolerance, so I knew it wasn't good. I thought maybe with, you know, a bit of extra wrap, so they kind of kept wrapping my leg as much as they could and I really couldn't I mean the pain was really deep in that quad um so I couldn't load off of it I couldn't even take a step forward when returning so at that point I was quite worried you know I really can't afford another injury in my career as I'm kind of getting on the latter end of it so that was really stressful yeah obviously had the physio out at the set and I just there was no way she'd done everything she could to try and keep me on court and I just knew that it wasn't smart staying out there so unfortunately I did have to retire and before the match, I guess another little thing, I was meant to sign with a player, an Aussie girl for dubs, and we weren't going to get in. So that was another thing just like five minutes before going on court that was happening. And, you know, after getting off, you know, you know, blessing that we didn't get in because I couldn't even play doubles that week and it was that bad. So, yeah, mentally, initially not great, but was really confident with the physios and and they didn't, you know, I was freaking out until the next day when I found out that it wasn't as bad as we thought. There was no bruising, not too much swelling. So that was really positive. And the physios felt good with me being able to do rehab and that I probably didn't need scans at that point. So just went hardcore with the rehab and just really stayed on top of it. And um, 
yeah, I mean, tough because we didn't know if I was going to be ready for the next week or the following week. So at that point, I was meant to go to France last week to Beeritz to play a W60 event. Luckily, didn't really have a doubles partner lined up. I was waiting on some Brits to see if they were getting wild cards into different WTAs. So thankfully, I hadn't committed to someone. But it was tough because last minute, you know, if my leg felt ready, I was going to jump on a flight and try and play doubles in, in Beeritz. But with the change in surface as well, from grass to clay, it just wasn't a smart move, especially with the loading on that leg. Sliding around on court just wasn't smart, and the physios really were against me going there anyway. So I was lucky enough to get to go to the WTA in Nottingham, and I got to sign as an alternate. A bit sneaky, but signed as an alternate. So that way I got to go on site. I got to train with you know, lots of my friends that were there and, and see the physios and use the gym and facilities, which was really great. That's a trick of the trade that I guess we lay folk wouldn't really know is that because you've got to be thinking about like, you know, you, it's not like you can go home and just rest up like any normal person who gets injured on Tuesday night on the court. You've obviously then got to think about where do I stay next week? How do I make sure my accommodation is covered if I can? So your trick there is sign in as an alternate. I'm guessing that's probably also what happens when you have a really good week one week and you think, oh, I could probably use a week's rest, but you go and play somewhere the next day straight away so that you've got you know you might t- you might have a Sunday final match or a Saturday semi-final match and then you're back on court Monday morning does that sort of come into it as well where you think well even if I have a bad week after a bit of a almost like a hangover from your performance of the week before at least then you've got your accommodation sorted it's tricky you've, you've always got to be thinking ahead and having off weeks it's really expensive for an Australian to have an off week somewhere so you kind of get into this rabbit hole little bit of playing week in week out and obviously it takes a toll on the body so trying to manage that is really really tough on the road and not not overplaying but then also not spending too much so if you can have an off week where you have free accommodation I was so fortunate that in Nottingham I have friends of friends that I stayed with last year so for me that wasn't an expense and it actually just worked out perfectly for me that's just crazy that you got to manage all that and balance all that on top of like trying to worry about your form and what your shot shape's looking like and all this sort of technical stuff and um so what we you, were you do anything different differently uh in your upcoming tournament so uh, by the time people are listening to this, they'll be looking in the rearview mirror for the tournament we're talking about. But I guess the point remains, how do you treat this week with it's, where it's your return to play week? Going into the physio, getting my leg worked on. Honestly, it, it feels good. I probably won't even need to to strap the leg. That's not something I want to rely on. It, you know, my leg feels at 100%. So um, I'll just be really smart with my warm up and really loading it beforehand and and all my activations and mobility just making sure that you know it's moving and it's being loaded before the match yeah so I mean I've got my grass shoes which are all they're new and good and and it's just being smart and and, um listening to my body you know and obviously if it's hurting and I have pain come back which I'm not expecting I haven't been feeling in a practice but if it does then I'm gonna have to assess that on court with the physios but hopefully fingers crossed it's all good Okay, so moving moving on from what's been going on in your world, let's talk about the tour at large. So since we spoke, we've had Roland Garros. We're moving towards grass court season. Wimbledon's coming up. As we've said, I think last month, typically Aussie's favourite time of year. As a fan, it's great. Come home, flick it on the telly. You know, the grass courts will be on TV. And then obviously all the Aussies are out there loving the, the serve and volley and all that sort of thing. Some of the players that we mentioned in last month's episode who have gone on to do some good things. So we mentioned, you know, Borges, who'd been humming on the Challenger Tour. He rolled John Isner in round one at the French Open and then has since uh, come runner-up as the third seed in Nottingham to Andy Murray um, on the Challenger Tour. So he's absolutely flying. Max Purcell, we know, did good things at Roland Garros. And Geordie Thompson did as well. Um, he's playing in an AT- his second ATP final tonight. So those two have certainly carried their good form through. Alex Vukic made it through to second round quality 
qualities at the French Open, having cracked the top 100. So he's he's on track as well. And the young girl you mentioned, Mira Andreva, had a flying start to her first slam, came through qualifying, so three wins there as a 16-year-old, and then made her way to Coco Guff in the third round and won every single set from the start of Q1 until the second set in the Guff match before going down. And so... She is certainly one to watch, and I dare say we might have seen the last of her on the ITF tour, at least for a little bit. I think she might be uh, progressing a bit fast to be staying on the ITF tour much longer. Jana Wickmeyer, of course, was also another one that we we spoke about and who, who was your opponent uh, in Surbiton, and she lifted the W100 title as well. So she is doing some good things, and hopefully that's not the end of it. And one name we didn't mention, but you and I have discussed, is... A Swedish fellow by the name of Dragos Mandaris. Now, I'm certain, near certain that anyone listening here will have not have heard of Dragos, but uh, let me entertain you. So, this Swede is now ranked 207 in the world. He's won over 70 matches for the year at ITF level, and he has a goal, a publicly stated goal, that he wants to have 10 ITF titles for the year. And so, He's currently ranked again 207 in the world. He's playing 15K and 25K events every week with one exception of a challenger that he actually did pretty well at the other week. But for the most part, he's playing down, which is something we also discussed last month, and just picking off ITF titles. He's come and runner-up at least four times as well from what I uh, saw before, and if provided my maths is all good. What I want to ask, Alex, is why? So he wants his 10 titles. It's a record. Someone's won 10 Futures titles in a year once. He wants to equal and better that, and that's obviously an amazing achievement. No disrespect on that front. But why on God's green earth would you do it? Like, if you go to a 15K event, and even if you dominate and you win, you pick up 15 points, not a ton of cash, uh, expenses wouldn't be covered, paying for accommodation, paying for your flights to get there and everything. So he'd be hemorrhaging money if he just went to a challenger where his ranking could absolutely get him in there if he gets two wins there it's an extra point on what you'd get for winning the tournament at the 15k and and your expenses covered from a fan's perspective i struggle to see the common sense in this although given the opportunity i would probably do some stupid things for a record as well and so i can see why maybe that part of it but i honestly don't get it i don't know if you think any differently about this but i just find it absolutely wild it's quite an interesting statistic i can't say even know who currently holds the stat so it's not obviously something that people necessarily are going to know um in the public but i guess if that's that's his goal and that's helping motivate him to get through his season then then good on him you know but obviously it is quite bizarre he can be getting into probably 500 qualities events some weeks you know so he's probably getting into this, some of these huge events so yeah and again like you said losing a lot of money you're not making money down that that end of the itf tour it's interesting and i mean who knows i can't say that's something that i know many players to want to try and achieve because you obviously want to be moving up the ranks not staying down in the itf level down that level you're going to have hustlers and people that are they're really they are some good players down there but he obviously is his level is higher than that so an interesting situation who knows if he hits that 10, if he'll keep going through the year or if he'll just keep going ATP challenges. It's an interesting watch. I should say as well, the current record is 10 ITF tournaments on the, in the women's side and on the in the men's side, the record is nine. So he already has, the I guess, the tied record on the men's tour. I searched his name into YouTube and I found a um, YouTuber who is at the ITF level who uh, records and vlogs a lot of um, his content. And he came up against Madaris here and he would be the most infuriating person to play ever. He is tall, looks like a bit of a baby giraffe, almost fumbles around the court when moving, uh, left-handed, looks quite unassuming is how I'll put it. And 
he must just be infuriating to play because this this fellow that was uh the YouTuber reasonable ranking like six or seven hundred or so Madaris here just wiped the floor with him the it was a pretty short clip there weren't that many highlights to show I don't know why he's doing it from from like a logical point of view I, I see the record the record piece to it but that's certainly something that I found pretty confusing because as I was saying off camera as it seems like you don't get long in your career to play at your peak and to sort of invest that time while he's clearly playing at his peak um playing down seems like a pretty Pretty interesting way to go up, but power to him. And we'll check in, I guess, next month to see if he's got the record because he's running red hot. What we're thinking we'll do with this podcast moving forward as well is feature tournaments. So the tours are so vast that it's impossible for us to cover everything. And so we wanted to cover off one each, a feature tournament each month and talk about some things we noticed, some results that occurred and just sort of what we might, what we took from an event. Now, this will be a lot easier for you, Alex, because you go to these events, you play in these events, and uh, you've got you've got a lot more on-the-ground uh, experience and uh, wisdom to contribute than I. Um, so why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so I'm going to kick us off with the Serpentin uh, W100 event for women, which was also a shared event as an ATP 125 Charlie event for the men. It's really fun having those shared events uh, the same week in a, the same country, you know, and in the UK it happens for a few of these events. And it's fun because it creates this really awesome atmosphere and buzz around the tournament with bring, really brings a lot of fans, which is great for men and women. Um, there's headliners on both sides. And Wickmeyer, I mean, she won singles and doubles. So unfortunately, I had to come up against her in that singles match. But, you know, I mean, the biggest one was Andy Murray. He, you know, he brings he brings the fans and everyone loves him in this country. And I mean, he's a he's a great guy, super nice. I actually was in the gym every day doing my rehab at the same time, and at the exact same time, he was in there warming up every morning, 10 a.m. He had his you know three three guys around him for the team, and we were, you know we we're doing some same exercises on some of the equipment, rotating, and yeah, it's it's fun, it's cool to see those big players around these tournaments and. He obviously loves playing. He played here last year as well when I was here. And, you know, it's obviously a fun tournament for him being close to home. So, you know, it, it's cool. There are little things where I guess the women have to be the same as the men sometimes at some of these tournaments. They like it to be equal, even though it's not an equal level event. So, um, you know, transport was great. We get transport to and from our accommodation. They provide housing for a lot of players at this tournament, which makes it a unique experience because you get to stay with with families that are local and, kind of be in that home environment during a tournament, which is quite rare when we're on the road. We also yeah get food for the week, which is not normally something that we get at a W100 event, but because it's a challenger, they provide food, a food kind of voucher each day, which is a fun perk that we get, which is not normal for us. Love it. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's really great. I mean, there are just creates Atmos, you know, and there were so many Aussies there, which was so fun. I mean, I swear half the men's draw and the women's were Australians. So, that was really fun just to have a bunch of Aussies around and kind of pass by them, see them in the gym, see them on court, practice court. So, yeah, it creates a really unique experience, which was a lot of fun. And, I mean, great, great tennis, first grass tournament of the season. So also a lot of players from Roland Garros came. So the tournament ended up being very strong because what happens is those that, that second week of a Grand Slam or the week after, the especially unique with change of surface so quickly between Grand Slams, you, you're going to get a loaded week. So it's funny. Last year, it was, uh, I think, a week after. So it actually dropped a lot. So this year, it was a lot stronger, the event. So we saw a lot of players from Roland Garros coming coming through, um, just trying to get that extra week on grass, which really helps their prep. 
for Wimbledon. Worth its weight in gold, I'm sure. I heard Andy speak after Novak won his uh, 23rd slam. Andy was sharing a story that his wife messaged him basically saying like, I know that this is a guy you used to compete against and he's now still winning slams, but I'm so proud of you for doing what you're doing. And he was sharing that like at the end of the day, who cares if he's not still winning slams the way Novak is. He's out there doing what he loves and he's a pretty lucky man for that. So I think it's pretty cool he's out there um, on the Challenger Tour and he is picking up a lot of wins at the moment. So uh, a bit like Miran Draver, he might not be playing um, many Challenger events uh, too much more often after Wimbledon. I'll uh, kick us off for Little Rock in Arkansas. So this Challenger Tour event occurred during the French Open. So it didn't have the strongest field in the world and on a, in a different continent, uh, being over in the States, it certainly wasn't the strongest field, but there was something kind of cool to come from it. Callum Puttigal, uh, who we'll be hearing from shortly, he was in the doubles and made a semi, which is a great result for him. Previous guest on the show, Mikhail Pervalarakis, made the other semi in the doubles. He's, um for those who remember the conversation with Mikhail, he's at about 207 in the world or 210 in the world for the dubs. Um, so he's uh, dropped slightly, having some points drop off the other week, but he's, I think, still going to be heading in the right direction soon enough. So the winner of this event was a kid called Michael Jarl. So Mark looks a lot like Leo Borg for anyone that's, um well, I guess looks a lot like any young Scandinavian tennis player, really. So uh, lean and blonde is the point there. He is a graduate of the Moritoglu Academy out of Nice. He shot up to 235 in the world. He uh, took out the top seed en route to doing it and didn't drop a set until the semi. So this kid is going to be something. Look him up if you like. He plays a pretty exciting brand of tennis and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him soon. So that was sort of what I took out of the Little Rock event in Arkansas. And I guess our next portion of the, the podcast, Alex, we have a guest this week, Callum Puttigal. So Callum is a Aussie, primarily now doubles player. Um, he's a Queenslander, South African born, and he's out there on the Challenger Tour grinding. And he's a pretty interesting cat. So let's hear what, what he had to say when he and I caught up. Callum Puttigal, welcome to the grind. How are you going? Uh, where are you in the world right now? And how's the game at the minute? G'day, Roddy. I'm going very well. Thank you, mate. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be on here with you. Uh, I'm currently in Puerto Rico, uh, tucked under America, part of America. Uh, yeah, first time here. It's extremely humid. Reminds me of a little bit of like Vietnam or Thailand conditions, but uh, yeah, so going well here. Is that part of a swing that's in that that's in the caravan? It's linked in with an American Challenger swing. So I came, I was playing some challenges in in Europe, predominantly on clay, and uh, definitely prefer playing on hard court. So uh, once these these American challenges started up, this little tour, I I, I was uh, yeah pretty stoked to fly over here. And and there's been I played two in the states, and uh, I'm now um, one in Puerto Rico, two in Colombia in the next two weeks, and then back to America for or a whole string of challenges leading into that US summer of tournaments. Geez, that's a lot of case to cover. Is that something you normally do? Do you normally, when the clay season really picks up, do you normally look for the hardcore events? You know, over the years, yeah, I've been more inclined to go there and tackle it and get it, get it, uh, go to Europe and get amongst the clay because you obviously know it's, you've got to uh, you've got to develop on it. Uh, I mean, I have spent a lot of time uh, in my career in Asia being uh, relatively close to Australia and uh, and hardcore conditions. But uh, so I'd actually... Um, it's actually my first time, uh, believe it or not, playing in the states or and and Central America or South America. The way where where I'm at, I'm at at the moment at 29. I would guess I'm at the case where I'm looking to play the smartest schedule I can. So for me, I, I realise now I, I'm actually uh, I'm playing the next two weeks on altitude clay because there's no other option. And then I reckon my next clay court event after that, if any, would be Roland Garros. And that's it. 
I'm going to try and stick on the hard. That is huge. So I, I, I guess the what, what comes to that is for those thing at the moment, when you hear this, uh, Callum will be at a career high ranking or at least uh, very close to it, depending on how the rankings change. So in singles, you're probably a couple of big results off your career high. So you're sitting uh, in the 700s at the moment, but then in the doubles, you're flying and you're at a 196 live as we speak, but which you'll get up, which you'll get updated by the time this is heard. And so is that is that career high ranking you're now at providing you with the opportunity to play at the higher level a little bit more, which I'm assuming comes with, or I know comes with uh, a few more luxuries uh, on the Challenger Tour than the, than the ITF, which then allows you to create a schedule more suited to, I guess, your, your body, your goals, uh, what you really want to get out of this game as against just scrapping for whatever you can get. Yeah, it's been a it's been a different time for me. When I say Roland Garros, that's still a long way off. I'd have to be at a uh but I mean I'll stay on hard court uh for as long as for as much as possible. Um that I'd have to be 70 in the world for that. But it's been a change for me going from playing a lot of years on the futures tour, as you mentioned there, my singles ranking being 700. I kind of made the call um at the start of this year to really follow my doubles ranking and uh um, and and risk or or forego playing singles every week in order to play to add on the challenge tour and play doubles and be, have the potential to push that ranking up rather than kind of being hitting the ceiling of how what I can get to in doubles if I stay in the futures. So it's been a pleasure actually to be to be playing these challenger events and uh, as you see here I'm repping this USTA Pro Circuit event as I was pretty stoked on the way they they run things and um, I got this off one of the ball kids. Love but, it. Uh, it is it is different. It is um it is there's a lot of like small luxuries that I almost laugh at. I laugh at the fact that I I'm happy I, I feel uh um I'm, I'm happy to be grateful for all the small things. But uh you know little things like uh our challenges getting your accommodation paid for as long as you're in the tournament that's a massive win. Little uh, transport to and from the courts. Uh the, lately the challenges it's been a breakfast included every time. Um, new cans of balls each day that you're hitting. So these things sound uh kind of like they should be mandatory when you're playing at a, a at a pro level essentially and playing futures but um it's uh yeah it's slim pickings for luxuries out there at that level so um yeah there are definitely some some nice little uh lot, like lifestyle benefits to keep you sane on tour if you're if you're moving up and uh, you know, playing playing the challenges. And that's that's an interesting point you make about those luxuries because uh, I know it's not it's not uh, guaranteed. I've we've spoken to Christian Harrison before, who said that on occasion where um, he fell out of a tournament early on a Monday and had back to back tournaments in the same uh, resort, and then on the Tuesday they knock on his door and say, "You've got to get out. We need this. We need this room for someone else. You can come back uh, on Sunday night." And so I suppose even when you move up, there still are those challenges and. I've heard you speak before, actually, about the sacrifices that come with being on the Futures Tour. So talking about the tuna and rice diet, sleeping in your van to save extra cash, working at a, a shop renting out surfboards. How much of that are you, are you still doing nowadays? Over the years, I've coached on and off. Every time I've had a, a training block, so to speak, and, being, and I've been at home, or even if I've been based at Brisbane, I've always done a little bit of coaching here and there. Um, it helps. Uh, it's something I love doing anyway, but obviously it just helps keep the bank balance afloat. I haven't hired a board out in a while, fortunately, and uh, and I guess I've I um I've been really uh I've been in a position where I've been able to just stay on the road and uh, uh not that I'm yeah uh I've been watch slowly watching my bank balance um, decrease as I've got on the road this year. Uh, I'm I'm guaranteed and I'm almost I'm guaranteed to be losing money, uh even at a career high ranking for me. But that's something I'm prepared to do. So. You always have to have little niches going on to keep the uh, 
to keep the dream alive or keep the keep the ball rolling. Um, you know, really, like right now I'm outside talking to you because uh, I'm rooming with uh, one of my best mates, Dane Sweeney. So even though I say like you get uh, as Christian Manson, you get you get free accommodation still. If I were to be like I'll share with him this week, then you're guaranteed to lock in six nights accommodation. Uh, if you share as opposed to being potentially knocked out um, on the Tuesday or Wednesday and then having the cover night. So it helps when you have, you know, some good mates on the road for that kind of stuff. I'll probably, yeah, expect to get home, uh, even if I'm going well uh, to with, with much less money than I, than I left. And then it's a case of sometimes lining the schedule up. Might have, to, might have played UTR event here and there or when I'm going home and training, I'll be coaching as well. And uh, and then, yeah, you, uh, um, I was joking around with another Aussie player, Jason Taylor, about this. You learn to, uh, for a lot of little uh, little travel hacks to, to keep the expenses down. One one uh, funny thing that's been um, been a, a staple in this trip is trying to. Uh, I've been in probably ten different countries in eleven weeks, and trying to always take my tennis bag on the plane, so not to so for every flight, not having to save extra baggage. So I purposely bought a slightly smaller tennis bag. I'm thinking like a lot uh, uh, tactically about how I'm facing the the check-in desk when I'm checking in. So that you know, trying to get away with the biggest possible uh, carry-on bag to save buying that extra bag, and um, you know, uh, even I was uh, I was joked about this to some other players as well. Scanning the the check-in desk, seeing what, who's got the best body language to approach and come at them with a smile, and you know, like small things like that 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 can uh, you got to you got to uh, remain light-hearted with it all, and um, and and save a penny where you can, because then it might mean you know you can. Like uh, you can stay on the road for longer and one of those weeks, um, you know, that you're still on the road and you might have a big result and it can be, you know, it can change your trajectory. So there's a lot to it. Thank you for unpacking that with such depth. I think some Aussie charm would probably come in handy there when you're fronting up to the reception desk. But um, <laughs> this stuff must be second nature to you now because you've been doing this for such a long time. You've obviously faced plenty of adversity uh, throughout your career and so that, that steals resolve and all that sort of thing. But how do you go even now with your experience and with your knowledge of what it takes to succeed? And you are succeeding, but how does how do you go with that mentally? Is that something that you still need to prioritize, like um, giving yourself a chance to refresh and recharge where you can, or is it just water off a duck's back at this point? No, definitely. I've learned. Uh, you learn what works for you. I was just discussing this with Dano today. You le- uh, he's chosen to skip this week's tournament, uh, next week's tournament, in the case to um, to uh, not have to get to UK and for a quick turnover so it's a case of yeah learning what works for you sometimes you might have to take a week off on the road yeah just uh yeah little there's a lot of little bits of maintenance trying to create that stability around each day when you're moving around a lot i journal a lot i always be writing down trying to be in touch with how i'm feeling and and uh and make sure um you know you there's always the potential for your spirits to be almost ragdolled around by your results because you uh you, you know, you, you when you're putting so much into something, it's hard to not feel down if you're not having success. So if a week like these last two, I'm seeing that career high next to your name, it's it's awesome. But then that doesn't last long. Even now, I lost first round this week. You know, it's uh you you always um you're always facing slight disappointment. So there's a lot of yeah, you got to there's a lot of uh you know I I do some meditation and and um. You know, if you uh, just trying to take care of the mind and 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 not be so hard on yourself on the road, although you're always trying to strive to achieve, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you learn a few tricks of the trade, and um, you know, sometimes, as you said, it's a, uh, uh, it's a, like right now, it's a um, Friday afternoon, and uh, yeah, I've got to travel day tomorrow. You know, I can even have a beer this Saturday if I like to, uh, you know, for a bit of 
for a bit of well-being and do little things to keep yourself fresh on the road without jeopardizing um you know the the tennis training absolutely and as from the outside looking in you appear to be a student of the game and a lover of tennis and and the the opportunities that tennis can provide you in terms of the opportunity to compete the opportunity to meet new people the opportunity to see the world is that a philosophy you've always had i know on your social media uh, you've sort of got a bit of a tag of holistic tennis perspective which probably speaks to that that um that ethos of embracing everything that comes before you and, and and the opportunities you have is that something you've worked on or is that something you've always always sort of had underneath um it's definitely something that's evolved as i've gone along i've realized that uh there's so whatever endeavors i was pursuing in life you're going to have so many you're going to have similar challenges and tennis happens to be my almost medium of spiritual progression so yeah i uh i realized that um all the little lessons i'm learning as i mentioned there fail, weekly failure uh you know is, is being your own boss self-motivation um just the life skills about getting around and traveling and getting the best out of yourself uh your self-talk that you're learning on court all these things correlate to I guess whatever I'm going to take into anything else in life, even if it uh, weren't the t- uh, tennis. Yeah. So the holistic sort of approach has come about naturally from trying to, uh, you know, be always just be okay with myself and be comfortable with putting in with uh, when you're in a very comparative world. We're on a, like we're, the world's so small right now. We're going to, we're comparing ourselves to the world stage all the time. So if you go back in time, if you're on a more localized level, you feel pretty good about yourself. You're the best player in the town or best at anything in your town. Nowadays, I'm comparing, you're looking at a guy like Alcaraz is number one and you can't, and you, you live in a, we live in a world where you know exactly what ranking you are or what UTI you are. Or, so you can, so you got to, um, yeah, I've I learned to not see sizing myself up on that one measurement basis and um and be remembering that uh yeah i'm a human being before a tennis player and so i always try i love to pass on that influence to any um any of my peers or any kids that i'm coaching coming up to um yeah because it's you know it's really tennis is really good for you if you can take the lessons in the right way you know and you can take those those lessons into anything. I don't think for me it's it has to be holistic, you know. And I'm sure it's it, well, I know it's it's not as easy as just saying oh, I'm going to have a holistic view and from this day forward I will play without pressure and you know life's easier. This is clearly something that you work on and that requires daily affirmations and 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 daily effort. But have you found that since you've been able to actually em- embrace this philosophy and not just think about it and say oh yeah that'd be cool to be able to practice? Have you found that that's perhaps contributed even in some small way to your rise? Uh, definitely. You know, I've been at a point twice where I've thought I'm, I'm retiring, my career's done. I couldn't handle the, uh, the you know, um, not having money, being away so much, always always feeling feeling like you're a little bit behind the eight ball. So um, right now I recognise that also the, the fleetingness of time, knowing that, um, uh, you know, the next chapter is potentially um, looming. So I really try and, uh, yeah, just... Uh, make the most of it don't get me wrong there are times where i had a time this week where i had a mental melt really on court and just and capitulated and felt a little bit um kind of bought into that victim narrative briefly and felt sorry for myself because i was grinding a little bit but um i guess just realizing yeah the the big picture sometimes makes you um you know you you keep uh stay grateful for for the opportunity i said to my doubles partner on court this week we're under a bit of stress and we'll but i could tell we're both a little bit a little bit riled up and not in a in in the most uh equanimous headspace and i uh um turned to him and just reminded him that we could have been packing shells that afternoon in cold you know the old saying uh pressure is a privilege i try and remember that when i'm dealing with 
with pressure or with stress. And uh, yeah, as you said, all the little, all the little day-to-day things, uh, you know, um, to keep uh, to keep the head the head clear is uh, they're all they're all crucial. When you were younger, would a moment like that have consumed you? And and I mean, you didn't. You, you said before you went out first round, so you didn't win this particular match. But it sounds like yeah. you were able to at least be conscious and be aware of what was going on, and and, and find a way to work through it, even if the result wasn't perfect. When you were younger, would that have would that have been a different, perhaps not outcome, but would the journey through that little moment in time have been much more different? Yeah, for sure. It's still a different outcome, even though maybe I lost the match. Uh, I controlled my attitude and my effort out there, and I controlled, you know, I was maybe I, I was able to get a little bit more to a place and not playing from fear or. Maybe, as you said, my mindset in the past might have got a little bit or other people's perspective, potentially, you know, um, thinking that worrying about uh, what other people thought of uh, of that result or people that are looking at it. And um, so even though maybe I didn't win that match, or, but I bet you there are there are some results that would end up different from that mentality. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just so, such a nicer experience for going through the match, knowing that you almost, if you can lose the match because you weren't a good enough tennis player, that's such a positive. If you can, you don't want to lose the match because you're out of fear. You were, you didn't hit the ball because you're scared of, of losing. You're scared of what people thought, or you know, you were focusing on the points, or you know, the potential accolades. If you won that match, and if you were, I, I, I always strive to be able in a position yet to uh, put myself in a position where I can lose based off skill and not based off um, you know uh, beating yourself essentially and and being. Uh, I, I always think like. I'm out there playing a tennis match because I choose to, you know, like no one's, no one's forced me to be out there. People like uh, can also uh, have a lot of similarities in on futures too and challenges too around. People can almost, their can, conversation can be based off complaining about the scenario. And even though it can be easy to be, to complain about the, the, the landscape or what the money not filtering down, all these things, um, yeah, you learn that to be, uh, I've learned just to be less self-entitled and to, um, yeah, and to, and to remember that, yeah, no, as I said, no one's forcing me to be out there. I think that's, I think that's a wonderful mentality. I mean, I think every, everyone will agree that no matter what level you play, tennis is hard enough to beat the other guy or the other two guys across the net. You don't need to be beat, trying to beat yourself as well. That's, that's just where it gets way too difficult. There was one yep. thing I wanted to ask you about, which is something that happened uh, to your life on tour recently. You had a pretty wild ride getting to a title, a 25K title in Egypt recently. Wondering if you could just take us through, uh, I guess, what I'm referring to, how this all came about. And I guess it'll perhaps give us an insight as to what goes on behind the scenes week to week, you know, out there in the grind. Yeah, so that's why part of the incentive I've had on that Instagram page is, is to be able to share all the different challenges that go about because... When I was 15, I didn't have any idea or when I was, you know, first starting to you see, uh, trying to learn what the pathway is to make it, you don't have any idea of, of how, how things go down on the futures or the challenger tour. And for that case, so as I said, I'm trying to pursue the doubles ranking. And uh, so I'm trying to get into challenges. And I was I was playing the first few weeks with Dane Sweeney. And then he's, uh, he's pro- his priority is singles. And he got into a 100K event in Austria. And there's a 10 player or 10 team pre-entry for that event for doubles. And we didn't get in doubles. So I was kind of like, okay, um, I'm trying to, I didn't want to miss, it was only my third week in Europe on the trip, but I didn't want to miss a week. So I'm like trying to figure out where I can play. 
it's an annoying t- uh, stage uh, being in between, you know, this is two months ago, sorry, two for 130 in doubles, kind of no man's land being at the top of futures and the bottom of challenges. So I was scrambling, the old saying, the squeaky door gets oiled. I was messaging every person possible and every tournament director possible. I was either trying to get a uh, wild card into a futures qualifying to be able to play singles because I thought, oh, if I'm going to play a future, it would be great to play singles as well because then, you know, it's, it's, I would, if I could enter, I would have been a main draw for singles, couldn't be entered in an event or in order to be eligible to sign in for a challenger. So now I was in nothing. So I was emailing around, you know, they have those resort setups at, at Monastir in Tunisia and Turkey and Egypt. And I, I knew sometimes they give away wild cards to players of, uh, not of that nation. So I was trying to get my hands on a qualifying wild card and simultaneously trying to find a any doubles player that I could sign in with in the two other challenges that were going on in Europe at the time. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I, I messaged I messaged a total of um, 17 different players to try to find a partner. My third third tournament director, I asked for a wild card. He gave me a qualifying wild card in, in Egypt. So I quick, abruptly uh, caught a flight out of Split in Croatia. I hadn't got anybody high enough to get into the challenger as desired. So I thought, well, it's instead of skipping a week, I flew quickly to, to, to uh, sorry, to Egypt, not Turkey, to Egypt, to a resort set up at Sharm El Sheikh. I didn't tell the dude I was playing with that he was the 17th guy I asked. No, um, what would week, you? I went there and um, part of the agreement for him giving me a qualifying wild card for singles was I stayed on site at the resort because I think the tournament director at these events, they get a percentage of the, of the uh, players accommodation money so i was forking it out big time but i was just stoked to be able to play that week and not have to be uh, paying money or accommodation somewhere to have a week off and only my third week in i qualified for singles i drew the third seed i lost first round which kind of sucked but then i uh yeah fortunately went on to uh, i never met this guy in my life just i just you know just went down the list and and searched it's a case of I'm looking at the, the the acceptance list. I searched the guy on Instagram. I'll message him. It'll probably go into the message requests. Maybe he won't even see it. Um, I'll, you know, I'll follow them as well, try and get their attention. And then uh, and then this dude came back and said, yeah, he loved to play. Uh, this French guy, Robin Bertrand, who I'd never – I looked him up on YouTube, saw him hit a few balls, and you know, I knew his singles ranking was 400, so I knew he could play. And then uh, just introduced myself when I got there. And then as the – it was – fairytale like that week because we ended up winning the tournament which is which is huge and but it was funny so i won the doubles tournament and i um and i qualified for singles as a 25k event first round singles winner doubles and after the tournament director has taken out my prize money uh sorry my accommodation money he gives me my remaining prize money of 32 dollars Never mind the seven hundred dollar flight that I took to get there, you know. So if it was it's bittersweet. So I'm stoked. I'm walking away with twenty five points. That moves me from at the time two thirty to like two twenty one, and uh, and and you and uh, you know and then a confidence the next week and at least uh, anytime you're moving forward is a good thing. So yeah, it's like you if you um, yeah if you if you if you're the shy kid in class so to speak on tour and you and you're not nothing's going to no opportunity is going to come you. To you so that's also why i try to create a space uh, on the social media platforms where if i have any kids reach out to me and with any queries like i'll swing them a message and try and help them out because i didn't have a, my parents went in tennis my i didn't have older brothers in tennis or anything so um when you can it, it, there's a lot of like uh, nitty-gritty to figure out as well as to try and to, to have a chance to get the best out of yourself and so that that was an occasion where it was i was fortunate to make it happen 
remarkable story of uh, or anecdote, I guess, of, of perseverance and, and and persistence. I mean, obviously, the the financial side of that is clearly, uh, a, I guess, a bummer because you, you've worked so hard and you're probably due for some some you know financial reward to cover cover it all. But you have said there's an understanding that you you will go backwards as the weeks go on. But um, uh, did you find that? I suppose is that a case for you mentally of two steps forward, one step back, or do you ignore that, accept it for what it is, and just ride the ride the wave? Yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to stay true to myself, and be willing to put in um, whatever outcome comes about. So although I said, yeah, maybe financially I'll go backwards, uh, maybe if I go really well, maybe not, but I'm prepared to to leave it all out there, so to speak, um, and try my best uh, and and come back home with less money and the worst ranking. So I feel like as long as I'm prepared to work hard for nothing, then everything's a bonus. As I said at the start of this, it's just, um, my, it's, you know, I'm going to stay in tennis and I'm going to coach after I finish playing. And it's going to be, I'm going to, money doesn't weigh down on me too much. There's going to be a time where it, it can be, it's going to be more of a priority and probably an annoying priority. But so right now, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so uh, happy and motivated um, and, and thankful that I'm still playing and just to see, uh, you know, I've got my whole life to to think about um, what I could have done, and and uh, or and it's, I'm 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 really thrilled to be giving double the chance as well. You know, because that's not it's not something I would have ever planned on either. So I just thought at the start of this year, um, yeah, let's give it a crack before before I I'm I'm sitting at home at 36 watching a doubles match, going, oh, if I swear if I trained doubles, I could have made it. You know, like no, mate, that that's awesome. And I guess with uh, the current doubles landscape of, I think if you look in the top hundred, just about every bloke there, perhaps minus uh, Coops actually might be uh, 30, but Rinky's certainly not. But I think and Max. But other than that, almost every name you look at in that top hundred is is 30 or over. So certainly, um, certainly not on the wrong side of it. And I think everyone, uh, everyone sort of understands that. Uh, you know, if we had the if we had the the ability to um to be out there on tour, we'd probably trade what we're doing to be, to be in your position. Last year, you had some pretty strong results. I think you had three twenty five k titles and a challenger win you know, uh, at home, actually, which must have been pretty cool. And then, uh, re- but recently, you've had a few challenger semifinals and stuff as well. So you've been ticking along. What's the goal? Uh, what's the goal, or what's the I guess the motivation for the, the final sort of six months of the year? Um, and, you know, have, have, are you defending a lot of ranking points where uh, that's something you've got to worry about or um, is that something you wouldn't worry about anyway? Um, it's always something you've got to be aware of because you've got to, that, that can dictate or it can, it can uh, affect your tournament schedule. So, yeah, uh, so sometimes you, yeah, you, you might want to, yeah, it's always, for me, I want to be subtly aware of where I'm defending, but not too stressed about it because if I'm thinking about that, I realize that some people can be really motivated by it and, it can't, it doesn't affect their play but for me if i'm thinking about points dropping off too much or needing to or thinking about ranking in my um, middle my ranking in the middle of a match i know off experience that's not going to help me play my best so um i yeah as you said i've got um it, it's pretty cool right now uh, winning matches and challenges for instance the last two weeks making semis each week gives me uh, uh 30 points which winning a the biggest future is a 25k future which is 25 points so it's five more points than winning a future each week the last two weeks so um because i'm defending a lot of futures points uh it's easier to defend them now in challenges so i have got that um that challenger title in october 
uh, which also was a fortunate experience. I was supposed to be for the first time ever playing doubles with Mark Polmans that week, which I was ecstatic because I rate Mark's one of the best doubles players in the world and uh, and, it, and one of the best blokes in the world. And and I was, I was stoked to be playing with him. And he he heard he's uh, he playing in the doubles final with Max Purcell in Korea the week earlier and hurt himself. And um and uh, my and this uh, another Australian Jeremy Beal, his partner had hurt himself. So Beal and I, I'd never played together. We'd known each other for a long time, but we we paired up last minute and and uh, unexpectedly won the, the the challenger, which was huge. So so that's eighty points. That really put me in a position to be able to potentially start playing challenges this year. And so I'm aware of that looming as defending that, but I guess it's also crazy that the the higher you get, um, the more it bottlenecks. So even if if I get to uh, you know, if actually by the time that comes around, if I'm at 180 or 170, it, it doesn't put me back too much. But um, yeah, I just try and I just recognize that. Oof, it's how is it going to help me worrying about that? You know, yeah. I, I, I uh, yeah, I'm just trying. My goal every every match is just be, to be. I've been a player that's I've struggled with nerves a lot in my career and struggled with playing uh, passively under pressure in that sense. So I'm just striving to play free for all the time. And I know if I'm playing free and trusting each shot, then I've got a good chance to play my best tennis. So, yeah, aware of points, I would say, but not uh, definitely not, you know, I'm in the front tool lobe when, you, when you're on tour. Mate, look, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been very generous with your time and with your uh, willingness to talk about what you're going through and, and how life is out there. So, uh, as you said, it's it's Friday. You've had a you've had a good few weeks. Go treat yourself before a travel day tomorrow. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Cool, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Roddy. Yeah, I might go up. Uh, another Aussie player, good mate of mine, Adam Walton, is about to play uh, a quarter of this challenger against Kane Nishikori, who's, who's, which is his first match back, uh, first tournament back. So I might go. Um, I might grab a cold one and go support old Waltz out there. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. Sounds fantastic. Right. So we've just heard from Callum. Alex, what did you think? He's a great guy. Callum, his work ethic, his mentality and on life is just so engaging and and so positive. And I just love it. His energy is fantastic around a tennis center. And um, he's just a great guy to chat with and be around. 100%. And what I was picking up on that, that we sort of uh, have mentioned is that he's, his mentality and he he says all that he says all the right things that you hear from the top athletes in the world, and it's a really hard thing to manufacture these sayings and to, I guess, to fake it. But he talks about controlling what he can control, um, not worrying about how his actions are perceived and what others think of him. These are the sort of the things that you hear about from those at the absolute top of their game that receive, you know, or that work with the best mental coaches in the business. And he seems to have found his way there without. Well, I don't know whether he who he works with in the mental space, but he seems to have found his way there. And so what I what I was sort of picking up is this bloke is going to get the absolute best out of himself one way or another. And it sort of reminds me of, of a John Millman type character or um, even Leighton to a point. You sort of think that they are going to get everything out of what their ability has to offer and they're never going to leave themselves shortchanged. There are some uh, tennis players that come and go that you think they're probably not making the most of what's on the table. But for him, I don't I don't think that's the case. He seems to be in a really good space and really able to maximise what he can get out of this game. Yeah. Oh, his tricks of the trade are unreal. I think my favourite is um, his check-in desk at the airport, unreal. It's so funny, but it's so true. If you're like tight on, on your bags especially at the end of the trip if you've accumulated stuff or even at the start where you know you're heavier than at the end of the trip. 
I mean, it's such a thing. You really do try and scope out who you think looks nice and and kind of just pray that um, they're lenient. And especially some airlines don't let you take tennis rackets on board. So that's a huge one is trying to sneak the rackets or try and take them out of the tennis bag. Or even sometimes um, they make you take your tennis bag to um, kind of the area where you take surfboards, prams, bigger um, oversized stuff. And sometimes you'll like, take out some rackets or something and then chuck them in as you're getting to oversize or or whatnot to make sure you hit the the right weight. It's a real thing. The tricks of the trailer too are you kind of learn along the way, uh, the do's and don'ts and things that help you get by each week. And another one he mentioned was sharing the room, which is great. I mean, the Charlie Tour is great, um, different to the women's side a little bit. The 80s and 100s are now getting there where we're providing it, um, hospitality. But that's a great thing the Charlies have is, is that, um, yeah, sharing those rooms because you get a minimum of, three or four nights. So then splitting it with someone, you get the whole week free pretty much. So it, it really helps. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the other things that would be remiss of us not to touch on is his story about Egypt. So this must be something that you'd be able to relate to a bit, you know, scrounging for a partner if things fall through or if you have to go to a, a different event last minute and trying to figure out what event, you know, which city, which country. And and uh, for, for him, I guess, in that instance, it worked out perfectly. It's kind of Kind of remarkable to think that you go through 16 other people that you could have played with. And so there's 16 different sliding doors moments for what could have happened that week. And then somehow it's all sort of come together at the end. Yeah. I mean, there have been weeks. I felt him when he said that because I've some weeks messaged 20, 30 people trying to find someone last minute. It, it's it's really tough. And and like we mentioned earlier as well is um, not having a week off. You know, it's really tough paying for a week off mentally. So trying to play somewhere last minute um, just to make sure that you're not paying for a week off because you want to play or what's the point, you know, sometimes in paying for a week off when you can just go pay to be somewhere and play at least doubles. So it's really great. And it worked out in his favor, making a run in the tournament. So good for him. It's awesome seeing that happen. That happened to me last year. And actually this exact time last year, I was in Ilkley and the following week, I didn't know what I was doing. And my friend, a British girl, didn't get a wild card into doubles. So she messaged me last minute, hey, let's go to France and play this doubles tournament. So it kind of fell in my lap a little bit and we we finaled. Um, so which was, you know, super awesome and and fun, fun little thing that happened to me. <laughs> yeah, that that's where I suppose those little behind the scenes stories are what we don't get to what we don't get to hear about. But super appreciative of uh, Callum for coming on. Obviously, anyone listening will know he is, uh, he's raw, he's open, he's real, he's transparent. And I think he's got a lovely way of approaching the game. I'm certain that whoever he does coach when he says he does his coaching weeks is probably better off for hearing for what he's got to say because he's a wise dude. He's a wise dude. So that was pretty cool. Alex, that's all we've got time for. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Grind. Thanks, guys. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube channel.